am Joe Cottrell, dog behaviourist and owner of Dog Trouble, changing people's lives with their dogs. And this evening, Nikki, my wife, has joined me because she thought it would be a good idea for me to talk about how I started doing dog behaviour work, didn't you? I did indeed. And also, I think it'd be good to talk about all the dogs that you've had over the years. That could take quite a long time. Actually, we might be here for days. Yeah, maybe just talk about the ones that I've got at the moment. I think that's probably a I good think idea. that'll take long enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you start? So, um, I used to be a teacher. I trained as a PE teacher and um, I was in uh, a well-paid, secure job. Living on the farm, we'd always had rescue dogs all our lives. When I was in my last year of university training to be a teacher, I adopted a Springer Spaniel puppy because I'd always wanted a Spaniel. And I can remember phoning my mum, bearing in mind it probably took about four days after I'd got him to phone her and pluck up the courage to tell her. I phoned her and told her that I got a Spaniel puppy. And of course, she wasn't very happy. It's a surprise. <laughs> I was living in a, our flat at the time down in Chichester. And so I had a Spaniel puppy living in a flat, going into lectures most days. And so he was left for about three, four hours. And he started eating the walls in the flat because clearly I wasn't giving him enough exercise and stimulation being a working dog. I finished university, came back to the farm and uh, decided that I wanted to live back at the farm and uh, work in this area. And probably about a year after I'd moved back home, I think it was, I decided that I wanted to rescue a dog. So I went to Debark, which is a local rescue here in Wokingham. I immediately fell in love with the first dog that I saw, who was basking in sunshine in her kennel. She was skin and bones. She had been rescued from Wales. She was this beautiful dark brown colour, looked a bit like a Pedenko, if anybody knows what that breed is. And I remember adopting her and putting her in the boot of my car where Max, my spaniel, was. And when she got in, she growled at him. And that obviously was the first warning sign, which I never picked up on. Anyway, from that day onwards, every day, my kitchen was bloodshed. She would attack Max and she'd, bit bit like a whale really, she'd put her mouth around his nose and she'd puncture the top of his nose and she'd mm. probably do that on a daily basis. What was her name? Ellie. Ellie, right. I was, you know, crying my eyes out. I was screaming at the dogs. You know, there was blood up the walls and this was happening every day and I was just beside myself and I thought, I'm going to have to take her back. But then I knew if I took her back, she wouldn't get another home or she'd bounce from home to home. So mm. I knew, I knew I was the best person for her but I didn't know how to fix her. And then, coincidentally, Caesar Milan's first Dog Whisperer series started on TV and I happened to come across it and I watched one of his episodes and I was just mesmerised at the gift this guy had with rehabilitating dogs with behaviour problems. So I became an addict. I would record every episode, I would write notes, you know, I'd, I'd press pause, write my notes, press play, press pause, write my notes. <laughs> and I watched every episode under the sun and I started implementing what I was learning from watching his programs. And it worked. 
she started to get better. She didn't start, she didn't carry on attacking him every day. I started giving them more exercise, more direction, leadership, as I know now. And I was able to keep her and they lived in harmony for many, many years. I still had to muzzle her around new dogs because she was an alpha female. And that's what I learned Mm -hmm. from, you know, watching the program. She was an alpha female. So she would, you know, she'd tell dogs that she was the boss straight away. So I had to always just have a muzzle on her just until she had greeted a dog and got to know them. And then I knew she was either okay with that dog or, or not. But she probably took about two and a half years to come around. And she, you know, her biggest problem was she was very insecure, very nervous. Uh, Men particularly couldn't get near her. She wasn't people aggressive, but she was just petrified of them. So that was where her aggression was coming from. She was just a very nervous dog. And uh, so she really was the reason I got into dog behaviour. Mm-hmm. And uh, it got to the point where I was getting asked by friends to help them with their dogs and friends of friends. And it got to the point where I was so busy in the evenings and at weekends helping people with their dogs that I thought, I, I'm i good at this. I like this. I really enjoy this. I, it's so fulfilling. Um, I love helping people. I love teaching. So I was still teaching, but I was just teaching people about dogs instead of sport. Must have been pretty full on then if you were doing yeah. teaching in the day and then doing that in the evenings and weekends. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it got to a point where I thought I, I want to own my own business, but I, I didn't up until that point know what I wanted to own my own business in. Mm-hmm. And that was the turning point. And it took about a year of me wanting to set up my own business of rehabilitating dogs and doing what Caesar did. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally I plucked up the courage to hand in my notice and my parents thought I was crazy, <laughs> as they do. Every time I've been to them over the years, <laughs> changing my direction in life, which has been quite a few times, mm. um, they would always respond with, you know, what are you doing? You've got a well-paid job, you've got a pension, what, what, what are you doing? Nobody's going to pay any money to help fix their dogs. Mm. And they thought I was nuts. They thought nobody would pay somebody to, to fix mm. their dog's behaviour issues. They were obviously worried about you at the time, thinking that always. it was Always. Parents always worry about their children. Such a big change. Yeah. Mm. And, um, and so, yeah, it was January 2010. Mm-hmm. January 1st, 2010, I started. And I managed to sweet talk my dad into... Um, letting me have one of the business units over in the yard because we live on a on a farm here. And we converted all the units, all the barns rather, into business units some years before. So I convinced him to let me have one of the units to, to have the centre in. And so I had Max and Ellie. I went to the Dogs Trust in Newbury and um, they had this little Jack Russell who had been rehomed four times. And for those of you that are listening, this is a red flag. When you go to a rescue and they say to you, this dog's been rehomed four times and come back. That's that's a red flag, we call it. <laughs> but me being me. Can I ask who that was? <laughs> Freddie. Freddie. Freddie, my Jack Russell. Yeah. So me being me, I brought him home and he was great. He was a lovely, sweet little dog and he still is. But mm. I soon learned that he... Um, 
you know, he would be the boss sometimes and we call him the referee now. Mm, um, but he's now got three legs. He has, hasn't he? Because he still thinks he's a Rottweiler. He's like a cat with nine lives. Mm. He'll take on anything, irrespective of he's the size. Quite, he is quite feisty and he shows no fear, which is a little bit worrying, but I guess he thinks he knows what he's doing, right? He does, yeah. And he's still as confident as hell, but he's old now. But he battles on. He still loves running and uh, still loves his walks. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I got Freddie. And then I thought, I, I want to learn more from Caesar. So I did lots of research, went on the internet and found out where his dog psychology centre was. And it actually was 20 minutes away from where my friends lived in uh, California. And so I went over and visited them and... I made a plan that I would drive up to his dog psychology centre and go and speak to him and tell him that I wanted to learn from him and could he train me. So there I was in my little hire car, drove up and there were signs all over the perimeter of his property saying trespassers will be prosecuted. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's quite amazing because you would have had to have a lot of confidence and, you know, balls to actually go and do that. I was petrified. I was a nervous wreck. But I sat in that car and I thought, I'm here. I've come all this way. I've got to do this. And if Mm -hmm. I don't do this now, I never will. So I drove up the dusty track along his property. And that was before it's, you know, um, was all developed. And I got to the, the big mesh gates And I just stood outside and I couldn't see anybody. Then eventually, uh, one of his assistants, Adriana Barnes, who was with him at the time, came out. And I explained to her that I'd seen him on TV and that I'd set up a dog psychology centre in England. And I wanted to learn from him. And she said, you know, unfortunately, he's not here, but let me show you around. And I was just on cloud nine. You know, I'd seen this place on TV and I was just on cloud nine. And, uh, you know, she gave me a a T-shirt and a a cap and she said that actually Caesar was starting the first ever Training Caesar's Way course in a couple of months' time. So, yeah, so I went back a few months later and went on his first course. And that's where I met uh, Sherry Lucas and Brian Agnew, who are two amazing trainers. I got on really well with them and chatted to them and told them what I'd, you know, created in England. And yeah, I learned so much from all three of them. Came back very inspired, lots of ideas of things that I wanted to create. You know, I wanted to build a swimming pool and I wanted to, you know, create paddocks. How did you go about deciding what you were going to do first? Because that's quite a big kind um, of undertaking, isn't it? Starting your business and then having been on the course and then creating all this, all your ideas. Yeah, I knew I needed... Uh, kennels first mm-hmm. so I had to sort out the kennel situation and then built the main paddock and the agility paddock area because I knew I needed an enclosed area to work the dogs and then projects just developed from there as you know I love a project <laughs> you do <laughs> I can testify to that I'm always coming home saying I've got this idea <laughs> and everyone gets involved yeah absolutely anybody that comes on the farm they know they get given a job yeah. That's, that's part true. of the deal. We feed you, you work. Even my mum's been given jobs, hasn't she? Absolutely. <laughs> Everybody that steps on the farm gets a job. <laughs> Nobody's allowed to sit down for more than 10 minutes. 
So, so you came back from doing the course with Caesar and starting your business. Yeah. So, what were the the initial stages after getting the kennels and the the paddocks and everything done for the dogs? What happened next? Well, I had to do lots of marketing and advertising, um, which was hard work. You know, nobody knew who I was. I ruffled a few feathers in the dog training world locally. Oh, did you? Absolutely, <laughs> because I was using methods that nobody else was using, mm. uh, that they didn't necessarily agree with. Mm-hmm. Uh, methods that weren't cruel or harsh, just they were mm. different. Mm. You know, I wasn't just using food to train dogs. Or clickers or... Or clickers or whistles or or anything like that. Yeah, it was tough for the first few years. I got a lot of hate mail, a lot of trolls, um, you know, a lot of abusive stuff online. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'd lie if I said it didn't get to me. But I learned to overcome it because I was so determined that I was going to be the best dog behaviourist in England, in my mind. (laughs) ever the confident person (laughs) always so I had to stay strong you know I would never engage in arguments with people on social media but I would stand up for myself Mm -hmm. and I thought I'm going to stand up for myself here and prove you all wrong you know now I know that people that do that kind of thing are just very bitter jealous chip on the shoulder people that are they feel threatened you just have to look beyond you know you do and you have to focus on what it is that you want to do and to achieve which which you have done yeah um, and I, I rather than get lost in all that I probably had some of the toughest cases in terms of dogs to rehabilitate that I've ever had in 10 years mm. and I was on my own and I was still new to the game and I would go in situations feeling really nervous you know about getting bitten and I probably got some of my worst dog bites within the first three, four years mm-hmm. because I was still learning how to read body language, you know, how to feel the energy of a dog. So, yeah, I was on my own for a couple of years and it was hard, you know, because I'd gone from a job that I was used to seeing lots of people every day to a job where I was on my own and and just dogs. And And I think also I was quite naive. I would say yes a lot. <laughs> when people would phone up and say, yeah. could you take my dog? Could you have my dog? Sometimes still have a problem with <clears throat> I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> really? So, yeah, I, I one day I had a phone call from uh, a Staffy Rescue. It was an online rescue and they just used kennels to um, be able to house their dogs in that they rescued. And I had a phone call about a dog called Chester who was just manic in kennels he had horrific separation anxiety he was really really stressed so I drove I can't remember where it was now but it was about a three-hour drive and I remember getting to this place and it was like walking through a prison I walked down this dark aisle down the center and on my left on my right were concrete kennels and it was very dark and there was probably about four or five dogs in each kennel And I got to the end and there was Chester all on his own because Mm. obviously he couldn't be put in a kennel with other dogs. And he was just an anxious mess. As soon as I saw him, I knew I couldn't leave him there. Mm -hmm. So I said to them, it's okay, I'll take him. (laughs) (laughs) So back he came. And uh, yeah, crikey, he was a challenge. He got out of every dog crate I tried to ever put him in. I think in the end I had a specially made 
kennel to put him in. Chester Houdini. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, he was then adopted by Claire Brown, who's a dog groomer. And Claire started working for me, I think, about in my third year. She wanted to learn about dog behaviour and she came and started working with me and learning from me. And uh, she ended up adopting him and he's still with her and he's the most beautiful dog. Beautiful dog. Mm. Yeah, and then I got numerous other dogs kind of from that day on. Each dog has got a story, which we could probably talk about in another podcast. I think it might be the right thing to do. Because it would take a while. (laughs) How many there are of them. (laughs) It would take a while. Absolutely. Yeah, how many dogs do you? (laughs) We don't count. We don't count, that's right. We don't. So 10 years Mm. is quite a considerable amount of time, isn't it? There must have been times along the way when you thought, what am I doing this for? And what what's kept you, you know, passionate and kind of kept you going? Um, I think what's kept me going is helping people. I love helping people. I love helping people learn and understand dogs. Sometimes when I see people the way they're handling dogs, I just think you, you just need to understand what your dog's trying to tell you. Mm. Let me help you understand. Mm. Let me show you what your dog's trying to tell you. It's like learning a whole new language, <clears throat> isn't it? Though? Yeah, it's just educating people. Mm. And usually once people understand, they're going to implement what you show them. Mm-hmm. But if they don't understand why they're doing something, why would they implement it, you know? Yeah, of course. So I love helping people, but I've always been an animal lover. You know, we grew up on the farm with, oh, I think we had about 15 farm cats. We had a horse, a donkey. We had dogs. We had chickens. So we're kind of getting back to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't get I was just sort of un- under my breath going 15 cats <laughs> <laughs> absolutely oh my god so I've always been an animal lover and I, I don't think I could stop doing it because every day I see dogs that are really unhappy in a bad way and I think it's the dogs that kind of give me a look sometimes that says help me you know sometimes people will come with their dogs And you can tell that people are still kind of on the fence about whether or not they should trust me and my advice that I give them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when they walk away, having been given a a recommended program proposal, go away and think about it. And sometimes you'll get a dog that just looks over its shoulder at you and gives you those eyes as if to say, please help me. Mm. And it's those moments that keep me motivated. Mm hmm to help people and there, you know there's some people out there that aren't ready to learn they're not ready to change all you can do is help them understand help educate them and it's up to them to kind of make that decision so it's tough sometimes yeah when dogs walk away and and you kind of have that gut feeling that you know that the owners aren't going to pursue anything mm-hmm. you know they're not going to take things forward and that dog is desperate for help I guess it must be, it's a challenge because not only are you dealing with the dog's behaviour, whether it's the emotional side, the aggression and whatever's causing it, but it's the owners who um, you're having to psychologically deal with how they are. Well, I didn't anticipate how much people psychology would be involved in this Mm. job until a few years in. And I'm now probably like a, 
a marriage guidance counsellor, <laughs> a life coach, and a dog behaviourist. Yeah. And a nutritionist. People will often comment, actually, and, and laugh and joke and say, God, it's like marriage guidance here. Um, <laughs> but I also say, you know, a dog comes into your life for a reason. And sometimes mm. that's to put a mirror up in front of your face mm. to make you stop and just take a rain check on what's happening in your life. You know, are you really stressed? Are you really busy? Do you not have time for anything, let alone walking the dog, giving the dog enough exercise, training and attention? That sometimes so it does. Well, it did with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking now that is pretty true. I mean, I think I've had to learn a hell of a lot about patience. Um, what, living with me? <laughs> well, yeah, and the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, given um, that when I met you, you said that you were allergic to dogs. Well, I went and had one of those tests done because I had some allergies. <laughs> and they, they told me long dog hair. So I thought, oh, Christ, she's got... She's a dog behaviourist. So she's got nine dogs. No, I didn't know how many you had at the time, actually. You didn't? No, I didn't, because you didn't tell me. No. It's probably a good job. I just laughed on the inside when you said you were allergic to dogs, and I went, well, this is going to go well. <laughs> oh, my God, it's hilarious. I mean, you, you now get up every morning mm -hmm. because I kept kicking your ass. And saying, go and walk your dogs. Well, you've got to remember that I used to work in the city. So when I stopped working in London, since then, yeah, I have been. But you love it, don't you? I do, I do. You moan yeah. about it sometimes. I do, of course I do. But once you're out walking mm. and you come back so alive and invigorated and, and feeling so good about yourself. Yeah. And the relationship those dogs have with you now is a much more balanced one because mm. you're giving mm. them leadership now, not just having cuddles on the sofa i know so letting bad. them follow you everywhere i'm so, I'm so bad I'm so talking sorry. to them like they're a human <laughs> i talk to myself so i'm gonna talk to dogs <laughs> <laughs> but you are so much better with them because you're yeah. now you're exercising them and you're giving them leadership mm. so it it's, does it teaches you a lot about yourself yeah it does indeed so obviously clearly hopefully it teaches those that um, come along with their dogs in your consults and boot camps, something about themselves. It's an enriching experience, I would say. It is, yeah. And I think a lot of people are aware that they're stressed, tired, anxious, frustrated. Mm. But actually, when I point out that your dog is feeling this and your dog is a mirror of your energy, so this dog with anxiety is just mirroring your anxiety... I think that's a real hit home moment for some people where they go, wow, I didn't realise I was affecting my dog that much. Mm. And I think that's the motivation they then get to change. Mm. Not always, but you can't, yeah. you can't change everyone. So it's fair to say that it's been quite an interesting journey over the last 10 years. It's been hard work. Yeah. Seven days a week. It continues to be hard work and, you know, you're really passionate about it. You know, you love what you do, which is amazing. And it's been pretty difficult, I would say, recently, obviously, with, you know, COVID-19. Well, yeah, because you're running a business. You're responsible for your welfare of your staff, for, the, for your staff's future. You're also responsible for the care and well-being of all the dogs that we have. Mm -hmm. You know, I also have that uh, pressure and responsibility of... Those people out there that are contacting us, desperate for help. Mm. And, you know, I do go to bed at night, as you know, sometimes thinking, 
oh, I just wish I could help that person or, mm. oh, I must find that person back. And mm. it's quite a responsibility to help people fulfil their dreams in terms of their life with their dog. What a journey. Yeah, it's been a fantastic journey and long may it continue. And I love working with people and their dogs. I love the journey I go through with with dogs and seeing them sort of from the start being quite broken to the end where they're happier, they live a happier life with their owners, they're more balanced, healthier, yeah. So I think the next challenges are once we get through this is there's going to be lots of dogs that are going to need your help and your team's help. By the way, we you didn't have a celebration for your 10th year. That's something you need to do. We do, we I, do. I think obviously this year's a little bit of a write-off, so maybe 2021. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I think we should have a big summer party. That'd be great, yeah. And I need to thank you as well for my jingle oh, on my podcast. So Nikki's a musician and she created an amazing jingle, which you will have heard at the beginning of this. I said to you, can you make it a bit farmy with some dogs barking mm. and a bit country-ish, didn't I? I think that, I that was a bit it. Of chicken on there, didn't I? You put some chickens <laughs> at the end. You didn't put any goats on or a donkey, though. No, I should have gone out and um, sampled them, shouldn't I? <laughs> Dudes, Eeyore, in the mornings. Oh, yeah. my God, yeah, that wakes up. They should turn up. that into an alarm clock. I think they should. It's pretty... Wakes me up. It's quite loud. Yeah. He's quite clever. It knows what he's doing, grabbing our attention. <laughs> Alrighty, folks. So, lovely to chat to you. I hope you and your dogs are well. We look forward to seeing you soon, those of you that come and see us at Dog Trouble. And um, in the meantime, uh, stay safe. And we'll chat again soon. Alrighty, you've been listening to Joe Cottrell, dog behaviourist at Dog Trouble. Chat to you soon. Bye bye.